I'm Alan Barr, and this is Radio Free RPG. Hello, I'm Alan Barr, and welcome to Radio Free RPG. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, friend, and often co-worker, Jack Norris. Hi, Jack. Hey. Jack, if folks are familiar with your work, where might they know that work from? Oh, uh, wow. That's a, that's a lot of stuff. Um, uh, let's see. I'll, I'll try to, if I miss anything, I apologize. But let's see. Uh, I worked for Green Ronin for a while uh, as their Dragon Age developer and Fantasy Age developer. Um, and during that time, I were also worked on uh, several of the other lines, Meets and Masterminds, etc. Uh, I worked on, uh, speaking of Meets and Masterminds, I worked on the DC Adventures uh, RPG. Uh, I also worked on the Marvel Heroic RPG for Margot Weiss Productions. Um, I also worked on the Smallville RPG for uh, Margot Weiss Productions. I've, jeez, I mean, it's, uh, I worked on John Carter for Modiphius. I worked on Dune for Modiphius. Um, I've worked on, I've worked on White Wolf back in the day. I did that Kindred of the East and some, uh, Exalted and a handful of other projects. Uh, my first RPG was a, a game called Noir in the nineties. Um, uh, if anybody follows like fake games, I, pl- I have a, my own, uh, Wuja Kung Fu action style game, uh, Tian Sha. Uh, I've done work for Gallant Knight. Um, I've done a lot of stuff. I, I mean, really, and not, and I've done a lot of licensed work, but I've also done a lot of, uh, unlicensed work. It's it, it's kind of a, a mixture, though. I would say, boy, I don't know. There's probably not too many people in the industry who've worked on more licensed products than I have. Sure. Uh, Zorro, um, even stuff that never ended up coming out, like EVE Online at one point was supposed to get an RPG, and I was working on that, um, and that just didn't end up happening, unfortunately. So, yeah, a lot of different companies and a lot of different games over 25-ish years now, I think is about right. So. That's quite the uh, history in role-playing games. Considering Dungeons & Dragons is just about to turn 50, that's functionally half the life of this uh, nascent industry. Well, it makes me feel old, but yes, uh, it has been. I mean, I, I mean, I started, you know, like I think with a lot of older designers and, and writers and gamers, I started, you know, on D&D and such back in the day. Um, Marvel, the original Marvel game, the original DC game, uh, Star Frontiers, you know, just depending on what genre I was interested in. So, sure. uh, well, that's, that leads me to my first question, which is the, Birth of role-playing games is, in the grand scheme of timelines, still very much in its infancy. And we are still at the point where, sadly, we are sort of losing that first generation of creatives who helped launch this artistic space, Mm -hmm. Uh, which is an unusual place to be as a creative community. Most art forms people engage with are old and have a long lineage or history. And we are sitting in the forefront of sort of a generational shift in a new art form. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll be pointed at, you know, not us maybe specifically, but in terms of time frame, we'll be pointed at in the same sort of uh, advent as the original black and white silent films. We're, we're in that brief starting era. Yeah. What is... I think we might have gone on to like early talkies by now, but like we're definitely in that we're, we're definitely in that range somewhere. So we haven't seen what final form or the evolved forms this industry will take down the road. No, I think that's definitely fair. And with that in mind, 
And as somebody who has worked on these licensed IPs, ones that already have this lineage of Mm -hmm. sort of old plus this lineage of new in a lot of ways, uh, what is that? Do you ever find there's a push and pull between the marriage of those two things? Is there tension there that you have to resolve as, as a designer? I don't know if like tension is exactly the word I would use, but I also don't have a better word for it. There is absolutely, uh, when you're trying to adapt something to a different medium, there's always going to be, you know, issues. And then add to that, you know, the, you know, like you said, the, sometimes the fandoms don't, you know, the investment and the age and the interest of gaming and the fandom sometimes don't always, you know, the, the fans of a, for example, you're, the fans who might gravitate towards a tabletop role-playing game of, an IP might be a different age group or a subsection of the fandom that might be very, very interested in the IP in other ways. Um, this I know I actually noticed this the most when I worked on John Carter of Mars from Modiphius because there is a very relatively small but very passionate and very you know active community for pulp fandom, and specifically the works of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And most of those people were barely aware of what an RPG is. And yet there's a lot of gamers out there who like, oh yeah, John Carter at school, there was a movie and there was, you know, this other stuff and it was kind of fun. Um, and maybe they've read one or two of the books, but they weren't and, and trying and it's, and those fandoms sort of intermingle in interesting ways. And they also want different things out of games, mm-hmm. um, you know, different and, and their entertainment in general. Uh, that's not, that's not to say that there's no, you know, 70 year old john carter fan who loves rpgs there absolutely are it's just that you know and just like to say that there's no 20 year old gamer who's like read burrows and was like oh my god this speaks to me on some level and i want to play this in a game um but it, it's just and, it, and working on things like zoro and things like that as well there's a there's a part where also sometimes people are really attached to a particular version of something but it has a very, very long tail, uh, you know, very long, you know, history. So, um, you know, for example, sure. somebody might be like, oh, I watched, I grew up watching the Antonio Banderas Zorro. You know, it's like, which is, I actually think are fine films. I think they're very entertaining. <laughs> but if that's your, if that's your entry into Zorro, and maybe you've read like Isabella Allende's novel, which is also quite good. But again, these are relatively modern and sort of, you know, in some cases, revisionist or reinvention elements of it. And, you know, there's, somebody might look at that and then want to sit down and play a game. They have different, very different expectations than somebody who grew up on like even the Disney series, not even going back to like the original novels or anything. So you have to kind of, when you're putting, when you're designing things, you need to figure that out and, you know, see what the individual challenges are. And it does vary between project. Like, you know, it's not hard to find people who like tabletop role playing and like say dragon age, you know, which was a very tabletop style video game RPG. So there was, that was not, you know, it wasn't hard. It was just letting people know that that existed, that that was something they could do and see if that was something they were interested in. Whereas other things might be more difficult, you know, and then of course things like DC and Marvel, it's a mix because there are people who are really, really into the, you know, current Marvel comics don't necessarily know some of these other characters, history stories. And when you're doing things based off those stories, you have to figure out how you're going to put it all together. That's an interesting uh, segue, I think. So you mentioned that this idea of people being attached to a particular era of an IP or media they like. They are nostalgic for, comfortable with, what have you. And it doesn't always have to be an era. It could be a subset. Um, right. But, 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 but some, some part of it, not necessarily the entirety of it. Uh, it's 
And when you listed, you know, your brief bullet list of credits, uh, both the DC RPG, the Smallville RPG, and the Marvel RPG came up. And you've also worked on other superhero RPGs. Yes, I've done a lot of super. I'm, I'm an, I've been a comic book fan longer than I've been a gamer or by right. a good five or six years. So Comic books are a very broad genre. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they're a, me- even they're a medium. Yeah. Even if we narrow it to superheroes, yes. they're still within that. You have things like... Um, the Lost Island, right, from Marvel, where mm. everything's prehistoric inside a Marvel superhero universe. The Savage Land. Yeah. Savage Land, thank you. The Savage Land, and then we've got Dinosaur Island in DC, um, and you've got, I mean, any number of those, and that's just one example. Right, and that makes, and, you know, spies and superheroes, Secret Avengers, Black Widow, right? Very much an espionage story rather than a standard superhero story. And then, of course, so, uh, DC also has spies, like spy characters that they've eventually folded into, and to Marvel to an extent as well, that they folded into their superhero universes. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Right, and so with this broad umbrella of a genre i.e superhero comic books and then these really focused uh internal genres inside the same sort of shared universe people are often very attached to one thing or the other inside that for example for me for for me superheroes are almost exclusively sort of that four color do-gooder style story that is what i like about reading superhero comic books i like watching heroes be heroic I don't enjoy the darker uh, stories per se. Right. And so when you are making a superhero RPG, how do you both present in a way to, I'm going to use the term combat, combat the broadness of the genre in a way that makes a game playable in a reasonable format? Well, I think there's like three different ways you can do it. Uh, The first way is you take a... um, you take one of the subgenres or sections and you say, this is going to be my Supers game. My Supers game is going to be about four-color heroics. My superheroes game is going to be about street-level superheroes. My superhero game is going to be about, you know, you could be drilled down really specifically, uh, you know, superhuman, low-level powered superhumans on the run from a authoritarian government that wants to control or destroy them. Like, you know, that's in some level early X-Men, but it's also, you know, there's a lot of stuff out that some various TV shows and things like that have followed mm-hmm. that. Um, that's the first way. And I would, I would argue the easiest way, but I also think that there's some unique challenges there. Uh, one, you've got to reach the market. That's really going to like that superhero from sort of superhero thing from a business perspective, if you're trying to put that out. And then if you're trying to just do it for fun around your table, you need to get a group that's going to be engaged with it. Um, and then I think the other thing that's difficult is you, if you're going to drill down to that, you better really make sure your rules and your rule set and your world really benefit and flavor the flavor and the rules and everything really make that feel right um so that's that's what way one uh way two you kind of go to the story elements of it where characters in dc and marvel particularly though i think this is true in most superhero universes um you know batman and superman coexist they have their skills, they have their strengths, they have their weaknesses. On paper, it seems ridiculous that a guy who has all Superman's powers and abilities and is also considered to be very intelligent and very capable needs Batman. But they create stories where you know experience, training, a certain philosophy, a certain outlook is vital to you know dealing with certain crises. Uh, you need that, I think, both as a 
and again, I think mechanically and also world and character wise, you got to design you design that way. That can be very challenging, particularly if you do favor one type or another. Um, but if you want to do like a Marvel or DCS superhero universe, you do need to consider that. Like, I mean, the people out there who want to be like, oh, I want to make a, a emulate a Marvel or DC universe in my own personal superhero universe or setting. Well, then you're going to have to have a Punisher. You know, or or a vigilante, or a you know whatever. You're gonna have to have a Superman, you know, or you know, or or a Thor, or whatever. You know, a Captain America. Those archetypes are gonna need to be there because people are gonna expect them. Those rules to make those characters not feel, you know, like they just don't matter. Um, it's totally fine to you know carve out certain things. You might say, look, you know what? Uh, I'm never gonna do, you know, allegories of prejudice and intolerance the way that the X Men did because I just don't think I can or I don't think I want to. So I'm not going to have oppressed, you know, mutants and things like that. But then you probably are going to need something like the Doom Patrol to round out the, you know, people who don't quite fit in hero genre. Um, and then the third way I think is, you know, I think for me the least satisfying, but I think it does work is like you can use like some sort of generic system or generic approach and you, you know, have your own setting and you say, look, no judgments. Here's what you're going to do. Go for it. Make your own. Um, the that can be great if somebody wants to toolkit and kind of design things themselves. I think the problem is is that if you don't at least bake in a little bit of the genre into things, you're going to end up with uh, um, you're, you're going to end up with sort of like a, it's going to not quite feel heroic. It might be a fun rule set, but it's going to feel like am I playing superheroes? I could be playing science fiction. I could be playing fantasy. It all kind of feels the same. Um, and that's I think where the uh, sort of design divide with it comes through sometimes with people who are are like, oh, I don't want all these rules that emulate comic book tropes and stories and things. And some people say, actually, if without those, it doesn't feel like superhero game. And so that's a a balance you need to work out. Um, and I think those are your, you know, those. Are the, and I don't think there's necessarily anything inherently wrong with going one way or the other to it where you can say, I really want to make something generic that anybody can just do what they want with it. If they want to house rule things to make things like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, my, my, my aunt got endangered and now I'm motivated, you know, but also maybe I'm not thinking clearly. So I have these bonuses and these penalties or whatever. Like, that's cool. That's great. Um, but there's also, I also think it's absolutely fine to put that into a system where, you know, as, as I've jokingly said, you know, you can get punched in the girlfriend you know, or boyfriend, you know, basically where, you know, the, the, uh, the struggles, the personal human struggles that we see in comic books that make superheroes more than just a pure power fantasy. Um, and, and of course, you know, characters like Spider-Man and such would not be as famous without their struggles, Batman, etc. Um, baking those into the mechanics in the world is also, I think, a great way to go. That's my personal preferred way to do it. But again, you know, that's in part because even if I tried to do a generic thing, I would end up you know, wanting to include all this stuff because I just like sitting around and creating superhero stuff. So sure. Superheroes are one of my favorite genres to work yeah. in as well. So I definitely relate to that. So you also have a love for a lot of other genres. So we've kind of touched on pulp a little bit. Uh, we've touched on superheroes, but you also have a, a pretty significant love of uh, noir. Yes. Uh, which is tangential to pulp in a lot of ways, but it, they are distinct. It, it is. And, 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 and yes and yes, basically. It's tangential, but it is definitely. I, I think I got into noir in part from my, I mean, I loved Indiana Jones, all this other stuff as a kid. I loved the, the period, the aesthetic, and then 
oh, hey, cool. When I got a little older, a little more, quote, mature, I guess, you know, if you want to call it that. Then all of a sudden I started watching things like Casablanca, Maltese Falcon, Big Sleep, reading Dashiell Hammett and uh, Raymond Chandler. And it's like, ooh, this is great. This stuff is so cool. I uh, started studying film a bit and started to also see the uh, the technical aspects of it and sort of how they complemented the stories being told. And so, and there is a difference, but it's also a lot of similarities. So like Pulp and, and you know, especially, you know, the real more cinematic sort of pulp uh, and more melodramatic stuff uh, versus um, noir. There's similarities and differences. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of those. So, absolutely, yep. Uh, so, you said your first RPG was noir, which is a pretty succinct title for a yeah. noir game, all said yeah. and done. Yeah, so we kind of wanted to grab that before people had used it at the time. And uh, yes. it's been been borrowed a few other times now which is fine but yeah so is that the only noir game you've done no <laughs> actually i also worked on uh um a game called mean streets which was a which was actually the first game rpg i really worked on much after that um, i did a book for them uh for them i the, the game's been knocked around at the time i was working with mark bruno and todd downing um but, uh, and they had done Mean Streets, the main book, and then they wanted to do, uh, Mark, Mark had done most of it. And then um, they wanted to do um, uh, some supplements. They want, I, I was available. They wanted to work with me. It was great. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I believe that game has gotten sold a few times now. I'm not sure exactly where it, I, it, it some, some company somewhere puts it out. I can't remember. I honestly can't remember exactly who. Um, and the version that's out has a lot of my work, but also has a lot of other people's work because of adaptations and different editions and things like that. Um, but uh, I did that. Um, I, yeah, I did a few uh, around the edges, did a few, you know, film noir chapters or genre treatments from certain games as well. But I those are the two like main ones that I worked on in, okay. in that genre. So both of those were pretty early in your career. Yeah. And despite it being a genre you really like, you haven't gone back to it significantly. No, not really. Um, Is there a reason for that decision? There's there's two, basically, um, maybe three. The first reason is that the original noir, uh, the company I worked for, and, the, some, and not all, some, I, a couple of my, still to this day, my best friend, and I worked on that back in the day. That was one of the only games he did, but I uh, stayed with the industry, um, though we're still best friends. Um, and a few other people, uh, you know, that I really have nice things to say about. But overall, the company experience was pretty negative, and... Um, I kind of on some level felt like I did a lot of what I wanted to do with the film noir game. So there's part of a not wanting to go back, but there's also an element of, you know, a little bit of negativity attached to it. Um, honestly, I'm really glad I got to work with the guys on Mean Streets because that was a very positive experience. But once I'd done, you know, a kind of a negative, a, a, a game, I, I, I think there was a lot to say that I liked some stuff I didn't like. And then another game where I think, you know, oh, this is more what I wanted to do in terms of working environment and, and treatment and everything without sort of other forces that I would don't want to associate again involved. Uh, you know, I kind of did that. And then uh, also there was a practical, then the, sort of the other practical element for it, I think it's you know, three ones, uh, was sometimes you find yourself getting typecast if you do something too much. And I have a lot of interests. And so... 
there was a time there when basically I would try to look out as a freelancer and say, hey, were you interested in something? And people would be like, well, we don't really have anything that's like modern day film noir period piece stuff that we're working on. So no. And I'm like, well, I have all the, you know, I know fantasy, I know sci-fi, I can do all this other stuff. Uh, so trying to sort of avoid that for a while was part of it. Um, and I think also is, is, you know, the third part was just, um, you know, practicality is it's not a particularly big genre in the, uh, in the, in the gaming industry. It's, it is something people like, but it's not something people like, you know, there's not a lot of games out for it. And a lot of times the games that do exist, you know, it's more like there are noir elements in other games. Um, and I guess for me, it's like, I didn't want to be, I didn't want that to be my hill to die on. I didn't want that to be my crusade. You know, that wasn't, I didn't want to spend the next 25 years doing film noir games until, damn it, somebody really, really, I did one that was like a big hit or that really was the one that everybody points to. I was like, eh, it's like, I, I, again, still love it. Still love the genre. Watch the movies. I, you know, I would, can talk about it for a, for a long time if folks are interested in it um, and wouldn't say no necessarily to doing something in the future and, uh, about it. But I've got a lot of, interest that I have wanted to do. Um, you know, I know there are people out there that, you know, get have, you know, a handful of genres that they like or a handful of ideas that they want to deeply explore. I have a lot of respect for that. But for me, I'm usually, even the stuff I truly love, I'm, I, a lot of times I will reach an end point with it where I'll be like, I have done everything I can to do here for now. I might come back. But what I really want to do now is go to this genre or I want to go to this place or I want to go to this you know, right. experience this style of game. Um, and I've, you know, been doing that in cycles my whole career. So. Okay. I think that's a, that's a good way to look at it. Um, do, do you feel like designers have, and writers have a struggle to avoid being typecast as particular uh, skill sets? Um, I, I and- think the typecasting can kind of go, I think it does hap- exist. I think it does happen. Um, I, sometimes it's not even just typecasting. It's like preconceived notions of you as a creator, whatever that may be. Um, I think it depends on the individual you're dealing with, the project, and what you're best known for. Um, I think you can get type. You know, I guess you use the phrase typecast. I think you get typecast as a guy who does, or a girl, or you know, a non-binary person, whatever that does. Um, uh, I do this type of genre. I think you can also get typecast as I do this type of mechanics. I'm an old school Renaissance guy. I'm a story game guy. I'm a whatever. That's what I do. Um, I think you can get typecast as somebody who has a particular like style. You know, it's like, oh, he's the guy that writes in second person at, you know, at the, the reader advising them. And it's, you know, on how to do things. And he has like, you know, this and that and whatever. And, you know, you can theoretically fight all of those things. I don't think they're inherently that awful in the industry if you're just trying to like find a place, but I think that they can definitely be frustrating if they hit you at the wrong time. Um, I have definitely seen and had experienced myself, but I've seen a lot of people who get frustrated when they're like, oh, I really want to work on this new Marvel game. I really want to work on this new DC game. Or I really want to work on this fantasy game. I really want to do Lord of the Rings. Or I really want to do Dune. And people, and then you talk to them and then you find out they're a big fan. They're, or they really like it, or there's something they really want to do with it, and they find out that nobody thinks they are. Nobody, oh, but you you did nothing but horror games. Why would I hire you to do this kid's game? You know, I don't want you to put a bunch of horror in it, so no. 
you know, oh, you did a bunch of OSR stuff, so all you can do is, you know, just, you know, take stuff from, you know, the early 70s and, you know, refine it from there. Why would I hire you to invent this new system, subsystem for this game that we're doing? Um, I, I think people get locked into that a lot. I, I try not to. Um, myself, when I, when I work with people and get to select who I'm working with or hire people, um, I think it's, uh, I, again, I, I think it's better now. I can't explain exactly why it's better now. I, it was, I, I feel like I get fewer, of course, part of this might just be my, my experience uh, and people see me do more stuff. But I do feel like sometime in the relatively recent past, people got a little less worried about someone's exact, um, you know, sort of like niche and a little more willing to work with people on things. Though I do think you'll still find it in um, particularly among some of the smaller companies because it's like one person and if they have a particular one or two people and if they have a particular mindset about like, look, you know, in my experience, people who like this stuff don't like that stuff. So they may not hire you or they may not look to hire you. Um, Again, I I can, I'm fortunate enough after, you know, after my overnight success in 25 years that I can um, start to sort of tell people, hey, I want to do this thing. And they might go, wow, I didn't know you were interested in that. But they also won't say, "Well, that's weird," right? You know, so, so it's a little, it's a little advantage, I guess, I've sure. gotten. So it sounds like you might advise somebody who is interested in breaking in to the industry or increasing their workload to actively pursue and showcase why they can do other things if they're feeling like that is a struggle for them. If, if they, yeah, I mean, uh, one, and I'll tell you right now, it's worse. And this is in true in comics too. Uh, it's it's worse for people who you know have some sort of marginalized status because there is definitely I try to be like hey you know if you're interested in this and want to do the work that's cool I think I know a lot of great folks in the industry who do but I've also known people even well-meaning people who are like I don't have anything for this black writer because I'm not writing anything that's particularly in the you know I'm doing air quotes here black and that creates uh you know attention where you might have a guy who I mean this and and it's ridiculous I mean you know. I think that uh, Christopher Priest is one of the greatest comic writers of all time. He's been, he's been known as, for a while that he was known as Jim Owsley. And um, a few years ago, he, uh, he took, he started writing the comic book Deathstroke and people asked him why Deathstroke of all things. And he said, because it's the first non first non-black character anybody's offered me in 10 years. And this was a guy who was like an award-winning guy who's written everybody from Spider-Man to Superman to the Hulk to whatever. And he reached a point when people are trying to, you know, on, on some, it was well-intentioned. We want more black, you know, we want more black people, you know, in comics. We want more black writers in comics. We want them to write these characters. And he did, he wrote black Panther. He wrote Luke, you know, Luke Cage. He did all these one, you know, wonderful stories. Some of my favorites of the, with those characters. But then at some point he found himself like the phone wasn't ringing unless it was to write one of those characters. And so as bad as it can be for any of the rest of us, I think it is definitely, and, I, and I'm saying this also in part, if any publishers are listening, check to make sure you're not doing that. Like you might be, you might think you're doing something, oh, I'm hiring a black writer to write this black, you know, character or this, or this African section, you know, or I'm, I'm writing this, I'm hiring this Native American person to write this Native American section. It's like, that's, that's great. That really is. Um, but make sure you're not, you're still calling if they're doing good work for you and they're doing good things, please call them up for other things too. If they're interested in them, obviously don't force, no, no, you're not forcing anybody to work on anything, but if, um, and I think that's true of all creators, but I think if you have some sort of marginalized status, you will find it is more difficult. People aren't going to want to hire you to write 
uh, things outside of a certain area. Um, and, and, you know, also sometimes if your experience or, or perspective is, is sort of hidden from the obvious, you know, I, I've definitely known people who, you know, it's like, well, I never mentioned that, you know, I'm, yeah, I know people who I, who've been like, oh, I, I've never mentioned that I'm Native American, for example. Uh, and um, it's like, oh, so the, I got turned down to write something about like the tribe that my my ancestors are actually from because the person looked at my bio, whatever, and thought I was like a white guy and didn't want me to do it. Um, so sometimes you do have to put yourself out there and sort of let people know who you are and what you want and what you're interested in. And most people will, you know, kind of explain keep you in mind for those things but sometimes uh, as a freelancer you really do have to kind of remind folks uh, you know you got these publishers have seen a lot of people and sometimes they just forget or they they don't know and they don't want to offend or whatever or they've got their own mindset and if you want to work on a lot of different things sometimes you got to tell people i'll work on a lot of different things and it sounds silly because <laughs> you know, you'd think hey people want work and money but sometimes you do you just have to say like hey you know i'm right here I I definitely have felt that myself at times. People assume I don't write horror-related RPG material, and when in fact I write great horror-related <laughs> RPG material, yeah. sometimes accidentally even. And and every and it and, and it, you know it it can be anything from a from a character type to a genre to a style where people will be like, oh, you don't you know. I mean, like and like looking at me, you would not, for example, think that like one of my favorite writers is Jane Austen. Um. Who, who I actually credit as being a great writer because she made me care about the plight of a bunch of sort of like rich gentry in a period at a period that I don't really care that much about. But I just think she writes so well. And so as a result, I like reading her work because she writes so well. And sure. if somebody looked at me and were like working on a Jane Austen RPG or whatever, they wouldn't look at me and go, I got to hire that guy. You know, well, he's right. wearing like a he's wearing a he's wearing a comic book shirt and he's got a you know long hair and a beard and he's you know he likes pulp stuff and he likes like you know you know like you know violent action and all the stuff like which I do I, I love all that stuff but I also you know and be like oh, I want, want somebody to write like a Regency romance or whatever it's like okay sure I could do that I'll take a crack at that um, and that's just one example and I think that's true I think there's a lot of interest out people out there you know. Um, right shocked somebody recently by saying I actually had a favorite rom-com movie and people are like you watch rom-coms I'm like not that many but I haven't I've watched enough to have favorites I mean, who doesn't have a favorite rom-com I add up to what can I feel like you know it's like I mean we go if we're going a little more serious guess who's coming to dinner and if we're going like kind of wackier it's probably somewhere between like and more modern it's probably somewhere between like forgetting Sarah Marshall and uh the proposal so you know it's just sure uh my wife and I watched ghosted last night how was that? I have not seen that yet. It was fun. We had a good time. Good. Well, that's, I, I mean, I, that's half the time what all you want, really. It was impressive to watch Chris Evans somehow not turn into an action hero the whole movie. <laughs> he managed to restrain himself. I've seen him do that a couple times, but it's, it, it's, uh, it is unusual. Um, it yeah. seemed like it took him a supreme effort. It's like watching Find Me Guilty and finding uh, uh, Vin Diesel not turning into a... Uh, Yes, a, uh, a, a, an action hero for or an action hero or yes. sci-fi hero or or whatever you know. It's like just playing kind of a a, a fat hapless mobster, which was uh... yeah. So one of the things you and I talk about related to this quite a mm-hmm. bit is the influence of cinema on our game design. Yes, I would I would credit, and I said this in the intro to Crescendo of Violence, that I think I would credit movies with influencing how I tell stories more than actual literary work. I think, Not yeah. that I don't consume a lot of literary work, but I no. definitely think the style of storytelling I enjoy 
as a GM and a designer is reminiscent of cinema and movies. I mean, cinema is inherently collaborative, and so is gaming. Uh, right. As much as I love literature, it is not inherently collaborative. It can be, but it is not inherently collaborative. Video games are also inherently collaborative. They don't. I mean, again, <laughs> there are absolutely games out there that one person makes, but most of the big games, the big events, especially as the games themselves get more cinematic. Uh, same thing with TV shows. I mean, you, you comic books. I mean, there. I mean, not to say there are not projects that are one man shows or one woman shows, but the vast majority of these non-written media are collaborative and i think that there's right. a certain just i think it just translates while also i think kind of a know your audience thing everybody can kind of you know well maybe not everybody but a lot of people can imagine things in sort of a cinematic sense you know if you describe a scene a lot of times there you know there's an imaginary movie playing in someone's head as you describe it one of my long gestating side projects has been uh, sort of casually writing on a GM help guide about action scenes. It's a, mm-hmm. a topic I really enjoy talking about and uh, discussing from a technical standpoint, having done stage combat and uh, some film work in college. I really enjoy the construction of communicating through action. Yes. And I think that is something that a lot of RPGs can struggle with at times. I think so. It can be easy to, and I'm going to uh, use D&D as the example here. It can be easy to go, all right, I move 15 feet. That's three squares. I swing my sword. I deal 2d6 damage, right? Um, Without too much thought about what any of that really looks like. Right. And and that's because to play a game playable to a large extent, you have to distill the things people do down to things that can be interpreted through rules. Agreed. Right. And because your foundation is sort of this technical rules approach in a lot of cases, it can remove the artistic flair. That is the requirement of usually the player, the GM to add. Right. Now, in your mind, what are some RPGs that do action really well with their mechanics? Uh, well, I mean, with the caveat, and I think this is an important oh. caveat, which is why I'm making it, that um, obviously not everybody's going to have the same reaction. And I think there's, you, you do got to kind of read the room. There absolutely. are absolutely people out there that really want minimalist rules so they can imagine everything. And there are people out there that really want, like, actually want the, the, the you know, the more tactical structure because having mm-hmm. that grounding on the table gives them, like, it gives them an anchor and then they feel like they can, oh, I can imagine more and enjoy more because I can look at something in front of me and understand it and be okay with it. Setting all that aside, um, games, I think, do action scenes really well. Um, I think, um, I, I really think Feng Shui, both one and two, did a, a wonderful job uh, in many ways that game. Was, I, I think that would be arguably the classic foundational text. A lot of people would point to I, that was, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Robin Law's work anyway, but that was a, you know, that was a paradigm shift in me as a designer. When I looked at it and I was like, Oh boy, like that is in for the genre he was emulating. It's like, wow, this is just, this works so well. And I ran several successful campaigns with it where I found we got a lot of drama and we got a lot of character interaction and we had a lot of fun. And a lot of that was played out during battles or after immediately after sort of bloody encounters of sort of heroic bloodshed and vengeance and, you know, 
you know, end of the world scenarios mm-hmm. and you name it and, you know, tense martial arts duels. And I ultimately use that system. I actually didn't use the secret war element of it in the setting much. I used it actually right. a lot to just tell Hong Kong action style stories. And I did everything from, you know, big trouble in little China style, you know, evil sorcerer is going to destroy the world to all the way to, um, you know, okay, nobody can play a magic character because we're literally because you know, we all just saw Kill Bill and we're just going to do a bloody revenge story. So everybody, give mm-hmm. me a you know a, an action guy who has a reason for getting revenge on somebody, and I'll make it. I'll, I'll make sure you guys all intersect in interesting ways. Um, One of the things that game does very well is translating the tropes from an action movie into a mechanic that encourages yes. you to use them. It kind of melds the two together. Um, right. I come I to I... the shotgun example a lot when I talk about this with folks, which is there's yeah. a rule in the game <laughs> where if you, they have an initiative track and actions cost a certain number of initiative. You take the and shot or pump the shotgun. There, yes. The, the pump the shotgun rule. Yeah. So there is a rule where if you spend one of your little initiative points and you make as a player, you make the physical motion where you act like you're pumping a shotgun yeah. and yeah. you make a sound or something like that. You get a damage bonus on your next shot with that shotgun. Yeah. And what Robin did is really smart with this rule because he made it one. It doesn't really cost the player much to do. No, it's one not action pip in that game is really cheap. Yeah. It's arguably, I think it might be one of the cheapest actions you can take. It's it's that unless you have like certain specific things that like, yeah. just like Modon minions, it is one of the cheapest actions you can take. And it is very evocative. Everybody yep. knows it if they know action movies. Right. And he has made it in such a way that, and inserted it into the game rules in such a way that it encourages the players to learn it, do it. And then there's the at the table sort of performance part of the mechanic. Yes. That is very non-intrusive. All you have to do is go, I spend one action pip. I'm going to up my shotgun, damn it. Pump the shotgun. And we're done. Um, and it really yeah. adds to the atmosphere as you play. I, I, I think that it absolutely does. Um, I would say that there's also some other games out there for certain sort of subgenres. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think Honor and Intrigue does a great job of having uh, the dueling rules are very good and the swords and ship rules are very good. Um, I I think that you know they have like um, for people aren't familiar with the game. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's only really your hack because it's actually it's its own game in its own right. But it uses the Barbarians of Lemuria system to basically do a Renaissance sort of swashbuckling adventure game. And <laughs> one of the and the one of the things it adds that Barbarians of Lemuria doesn't have is a system of advantages, where basically a character has, in addition to having health that you can lose, you have this sort of you know this sort of advantage that you can get ticked off of you by basically getting worn down in a fight or some or a handful of other circumstances, and what that really simulates is the the style of um if you watch anything from the old swashbuckler movies all, all the way up to the new ones where characters will get kind of you know the moons aren't too serious until somebody gets run through you know it's a lot of dropping your sword and picking it up it's a lot of getting a arm wound that definitely hinders you but not that badly it's a lot of that and the advantage losing advantage track you know simulates that and then eventually when that's all gone, you have to make the decision if you're going to give up and say, you know, I please yield, you know, mercy, mercy, or you're going to fight to the death because at that point, you know, the next few injuries are going to get real serious real fast. And that's actually, you know, I think people who don't even realize it when they're playing it sometimes and they'll go, wow, that felt really like a duel. 
you know um mm-hmm. i would also i would also say that like that would also work very well and i know it's been there's been some supplements of hack for it for like a, a lightsaber style star wars duel where things um go um i think there um again i think it depends on the exact genre um i think deadlands has some really interesting rules about gunfights particularly the showdown style gunfight the poker style mechanic yeah, is very it's very evocative. You got poker yes. chips, you got poker cards on the table. You're basically sitting there. You feel like, hey, I, I'm, we're playing a Western game, and I got these sort of props in front of me. Um, so, it to me, it sounds like we we're talking about a way where a rule emulates the tension from the genre onto the tabletop, and it seems like the most successful ones um, are focused more on saying, how do we replicate that feeling here? than saying, how do we adhere to the rules we've written? Yeah, I think For example, that, I, Deadlands moves to a totally different kind of mini-game system for yes. that shootout. Because it was needed. And I, and I mean, I think even and even Boot Hill back in the day had its own showdown rules that were slightly different. I mean, I, there was a recognition um, of that. Uh, and I think that that's... Um, you know, in, in my own Wuja uh, game, Tian Sha, I have, a, I, I have a couple. I have a few rules that are... I have several rules that are genre emulation and, and to sort of simulate action. But one of those, one of the, I think simplest ones I put in, which is if you have a role where nothing happens in a, in a battle, then you get, you know, you, you get an invocation on one of your forums because basically there's never anything that doesn't happen in a Wuja game. Even if the characters run at each other and throw a hundred, a hundred blows at each other and nobody gets hurt and they all jump back to reevaluate, the stakes have at least been raised cinematically. And so, and, and I've seen this with other games where they have like escalation dice and things like that, where, you know, okay, there are absolutely times where we can tie. There's absolutely times we can shoot at each other and nothing happens, but eventually something's going to happen because that's the cinematic element of like building up to the tension. So that having mechanics like that, that will do that is kind of a cool thing. Um, You know, uh, just like it's neat to have, um, I think it's hard to not have a, a swashbuckling game where you can't, where banter doesn't feature into it somehow. Mm-hmm. If you can't, you know, taunt somebody or, or, or insult somebody or say something to somebody that's going to throw them off guard, then you're, you're really seriously limiting the amount of swashbuckling media you can emulate. Um, I think right. that's true. The same thing with like, if you don't have a stare down or an intimidation in a gunfight, an old West gunfight, you know, if you don't have a mechanical way of representing that, um, you know, the, and, and also representing things that I think can get tricky, like, you know, in the, it's not always the fastest, it's not always the technically fastest draw who wins. It's the guy who draws first and actually hits the guy. And, uh, you know, that's, and that is, you know, you, you and you'll see move great movies where they talk about that. You know, I mean, one of the, one of the, you know, the shootest has several scenes where John Wayne, John Wayne tells uh, Ron Howard's character, you know, basically when he's teaching him to shoot, he said, it's not always about who's fastest, or most accurate, it's about keeping a level head. Uh, you see the, that out, that notion is repeated in a lot of more modern Westerns, but you see it in older ones too. And if you, you know, you want to have, be able to emulate that some way, it can't always be, oh, I want initiative. So you're going to die. Um, that's not going to, that, that, that won't actually model what you think it's modeling. Um, right. Okay. So, um, we're getting near the end of our time here. Okay. So let me ask you the three questions I always ask at the end or try to cool. Uh, first, uh, real quick, what would you say are the three most influential RPGs upon you as a designer? If folks wanted to kind of take a look and infer for themselves how these have influenced you. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, I would say uh, first one's Pendragon because it's my one of my favorite RPGs of all time. It's done by the amazing Greg Stafford, uh, and it had at it in its day some things that we didn't see become common in RPGs for quite some, for years later. And uh, uh, it also, you know, it did so many things I love. Uh, you know, the mechanics were, you know, they did what they needed to do and got out of the way when they needed to. Uh, you know, a deep dive into a genre um, that I, you know, with a lot of development, but also a lot of character-facing development. Um, it was, yeah, it, it, it's one of my faves. Uh, I mentioned Feng Shui before. I think I got to take that as one of them. Um, you know, not only because I have, you know, gone on to work with a lot of martial arts and kung fu style, uh, you know, uh, Wujian such fic, uh, games and even some fiction, but also just because I just, I love Robin Law's game design. I got to work with Robin on Hillfolk and that was wonderful. Um, I mean, I could work with, I, I did a setting for him, but still it was great. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, that I'd say that that's Feng Shui for sure. And then for the, you know, the, the third one, I, it's hard to say because I think it's gotta be some form of superheroes game because I love them so much. Um, if I have to pick one, um, I mean, you know, I'm tempted to say DC here, the old DC made for DC heroes. Cause I do adore it, but I think I might have to shove early champion, in there instead not because i'm a huge fan of like the champions rules though i used them for years and enjoyed them but because champions also had like justice incorporated danger international they had a lot of really great um rule sets and emulations for those uh and a lot of options and one thing i do love in rpgs is putting options in for players um so i, I think it'd have to be those three i mean if you ask me tomorrow i might give you a probably three different i'd probably give you the same first two and then maybe a different third one sure um but that's just you know i mean i could be you know i mean you asked me in a week it could be a game i just picked up you know who knows uh, that i just realized sure. like oh my god this is i've been waiting for years for someone to tell me this so okay and now the hard question what is one question you've never been asked in an interview that you've always wanted to be asked uh you know i actually People like to talk about what you've done, and I always think it'd be kind of fun to like, be asked sort of like, what would you like to see more of, uh, both okay. in mechanically and genre-wise, um, because I think that that's just not something you could ask a lot. Um, I must say it's never happened, but it doesn't happen very often, and I, well, I don't then, think I've ever been asked that directly. Let me ask you that. All right. Um, well, I, I said it was kind of a two-part question. It's You know, what I said was for, because I talk mm-hmm. kind of fast, I don't want anybody to... Um, uh, what would I like to see more of both sort of genre wise and also mechanically? Uh, I'm going to actually talk all those in reverse order. Uh, mechanically, I would really like to see more what I call hybrid game design, um, which is where people take things that from different sort of camps of game design and kind of meet in the middle to create new stuff. Uh, I actually personally think that's where the best and most exciting game design I find is when someone looks at you know somebody like kevin crawford looks at uh, godbound and he's i want to do something kind of crazy epic hero exalted and he but you know and he's an osr guy so he takes oh <laughs> maybe he played off like the oscars um but no um i uh i also would like to um but you know kevin crawford did godbound where he took basically you know fun mechanics uh for uh, you know a little more modern mechanics for dealing with characters of godlike powers and sort of more narrative control over the environment because they had like demigods where the characters you were playing um and then also on the flip side i really love it when there's like a game that's you know a little more uh modern you know in the sense of like oh it uses sort of story mechanics where it's more narrative but they say hey you know what 
there's elements of old D&D or there's elements of this old game that you're not going to do it any better. So we're just going to do it. You know, we're just going to take it and use it. Um, so I'd like to see more of that. Um, I feel like there's a lot of design out there that's very much like it's, it's my camp, it's this camp, it's that thing. You know, there's people out there that get, you know, pretty saucy about it too, pretty salty about it. You know, this is, if it's not my way, it's crap. And I would actually like to see a lot more games that come and kind of meld those things together. And also, I think also a little bit of less is more thrown in there too. Um, I think that there's absolutely some stuff that I think could we could take a, you know, maybe not a hatchet to, but at least a scalpel and kind of trim off some some things. Like I, I loved working in Fate, uh, for example, but uh, with uh, Tian Sha and some other projects. But um, I was really thrilled when Fate Core came out and distilled a lot of that, some of their ideas down to like four actions, five actions, you know, things like that. Um, because I was finding when I tried to work with Fate in prior, um, I ran into what I call the Fate phone book problem, which is like mm-hmm. a huge book of stuff and advice and things and concepts. And I'm like, I don't see how this, you say this is a pickup game. You can just pick this up and play it. I mean, do I pick it up and smash a bug with it? Cause this thing is huge. Um, and that, um, so I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see sort of hybrid design and sort of streamlining, I think. Um, okay. And I do think both those things would actually also appeal to the sort of growing gaming community. Absolutely. But I definitely I think... And I could be wrong, but that's what I think. I think a lot of our big Kickstarter successes lately have been that sort of hybrid game design in many ways. And then for genre, or what I'd like to see is, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think because of crowdfunding and you know places like digital marketplaces like drive through rpg we actually have at least with smaller rpgs niche rpgs there's a lot of genres are covered like if you want even even genres that aren't really that big in gaming but if you want like a romance game there are some really good ones out there if you mm-hmm. want a mystery game there are some really good ones out there are they what most people are playing well no they're not but if you want to find those out there what i would like to see is people to take a look at all these genres, everything from the big genres everybody does to like fantasy and sci-fi, horror, all the mm-hmm. way to the smaller ones, and look at the subgenres that aren't being done. Obviously, I want you to do things you're interested in if you're out there listening and say, I want to do a game, but I also will say like it's it's cool to see something when somebody takes something and goes, Hey, this is a game about this subgenre that just doesn't happen very often that we don't see sure. very often. Um, you know, I mean, for example, and, and, and sometimes, and some, some great games come out of that, you know, like there have been some really wonderful, like horror games that someone has said, I really just want to do a slasher on genre game. I don't necessarily have to have cosmic horror or what have you, or I really want to do a body horror game, you know, or a game with body horror themes um, or, you know, fantasy. Somebody says, I want to do, uh, you know, pastoral, you know, you know, positive kid friendly fantasy. Cool. Do that. You know, or I want to do really dark, you know, horror based fantasy. Cool. Um, but I, I'd like to see more genres served. And this also goes when I say genre, I also mean like history. If you're going to be basing things off historical time periods or cultures, I would really love to see more of that. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love, um, you know, a lot of stuff from you know your western from you know western european history uh you know japanese history and things like that but there's a lot of that and it would be really cool if somebody was like hey i'm doing a game based on a fantasy game based on medieval java i would be like holy crap just take my money right because that would be like where would i see that otherwise and i actually have a lot of stuff in my personal library both pdf and print that is stuff that i picked up because i'm like this looks like a well-done version of this thing i haven't seen before 
like I remember uh, there was a just one example. There was a, a bundle holding a few week. Uh, probably now about a year ago, it was some like Brazilian fantasy game. It was I remember Elephant was in the title. I'm blanking on the title. Um, and there was a uh, I'd never heard of it. I, I'd never heard of it. I've been in the game industry for 25 years. I'd never heard of it. And I looked at it. I said, well, this looks cool. You know, it was like, it was like 10 bucks or whatever for like the, the core book and a couple things. And I was like, I've never seen this before. And it caught my uh-huh. eye largely because I'd never seen it before. And, okay. uh, or like, uh, we were, we were talking recently about troubleshooters, yep. which is, which is in itself kind of a modern mystery pulp game, but it's also very much a game based on sort of the Belgian adventure comics. Right. of like Kintin and things like that with also a little bit of like Lupin the Third and some anime and some other things thrown in around yeah. the edges. But again, that's there's not a lot there's not many games for that. So when they when somebody made a really cool one, I was like, "Thank you." You know, that was and it's it's just for me at least it's very easy. I mean, and that even goes for that even goes to some mm-hmm. to some extent for licenses, you know. One of my favorite licensed games in recent years is the Alien RPG and I'll tell you, when it came out, I did not think that it was going to be a thing that I was going to be. I mean, and I love the Alien franchise, but I was like, how, what are they going to do with this? And then they, what they did with it is made a really great game that not only right. lets you play, you know, Alien style stuff, but also lets you play things in that style. I could pick that up and play everything from like the Thing to Predator if I want right. to, with minimal, you know, adaptation. So those are my, you know, I think what I like to see more of. I think just more sort of embracing sort of the positive holes in our design and, right, and genre sure. out there. Like, like there's, Hey, there's a, there's an empty space here. And I think I can say something in that space. I want to see people do that more. Um, okay. As opposed to, and I'm not, you know, I, as opposed to like, we, I don't need another fantasy setting. And it, it doesn't mean that like, I won't even necessarily make one tomorrow. It just means that if I do, I'm going to try to do some of the things I said, like look to different mis- historical periods and look to different ways of doing it. So, right. Okay. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on oh, and no, talk to us. It was uh, fantastic. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Uh, not really. Uh, oh, actually, you know, I do have a question for you because I'm actually curious. I just said this. Uh, what do you think? Uh, could you name like what are three genres? Because I know you work in a, you do a lot of really cool subgenre stuff at Gallant Night and everything from like you know games based off Baywatch, just other to, to uh, sure. you know other things like that. So, what are three genres or historical periods or you know subsets that you would love to see in gaming that you can't either think have been unserved or severely underserved oh that's difficult so i think for me the one that's on my brain right now is uh, a crime drama rpg akin to the godfather or kind of classic gangster movie the rise up from the street to power with also maybe some dynastic elements because i'm a huge fan of those yeah yeah me too um but i want it to be where the gm is the godfather and you have to overthrow the gm and take over the family and then you become the gm i like that um some sort of like i see it as like a three to six session kind of mini game where then you can switch gms or whatever Mm -hmm. you know right um, and I've been noodling on an idea for that for a long time. Um, I think that's one, um, I think that's an, it would be a unique way for mechanics to model that story. Also might be a place to look to certain, like more, the more, uh, sort of RPG style board game elements might be right. Interesting way exactly. Kind of bring those in. Yep. Um, and then I think, uh, for me, I, a lot of the genres I love have games Yeah. and that, and 
I mean, and if you know me, you know I love a lot of genres. I'm very right. yeah. I mean, we both. That's one thing we share is it's like so many. Yeah. We'll be we'll talking about a genre, we'll both go, oh my god, we both love this thing, and not too many people do. So yeah, I would love. I really want, and this one's more of a visual thing. I want to see an entire RPG animated or uh, anim, not animated, uh, art laid out with like claymation art. <laughs> that would be cool. I actually like. I, I, Somebody just sculpts all the scenes in actual 3D clay and takes photos as the art. That would actually be a really great way of also taking a genre. Like, you could take a genre that's actually pretty well served, but if you could give it that claymation out right. of aesthetic, it would be something new. I I have been, I have I went and bought a bunch of air dry clay to start working on this idea, <laughs> and I am not a clay sculptor, folks. It's going to be a long time before I get anything to completion. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought it sounded like a fun idea. Yeah, right? no, agreed. The physical, I did all the art, I did the layout, I did the writing because I sculpted it all out of the clay. And then I, yeah. you know, um, and I think that, and it would be a fun way to do some sort of homages to classic Harry Housen. Oh yeah, effects absolutely. Or whatnot. Um, so and I think, know, hey, Gumby. I, so, you know, that too. right. Yeah. And, and I don't, and I don't know if I'd call that a genre, but I feel like it, it would be a, presentation style that would be unique yeah um and then for me i think the big genre i always feel is underserved that i i don't want to work on or write in so i'm waiting for somebody else to do it for (laughs) me totally legit is i really love uh I love comedy RPGs yeah. that like make the group laugh, but a lot of those RPGs always uh, focus on intergroup conflict. Yeah. And, and also um, in some cases like, you know, some like sort of comedic violence too. Right. Um, and they're funny, like paranoia tune, right. et cetera. Great exactly. games. Yeah. But I, I would love um, like uh, an almost nonviolent, like, Telenovela comedy RPG, yeah, something or like, a, like, like comedic road trip RPG, where like nobody's I, getting killed, but you're at least you know you're. you're I want to play the Gilligan's Island RPG. Fair That's enough. what I want to there play. You go. Okay, right. <laughs> I want some sort of punchy, one shot friendly, non violent RPG that I can use to onboard yeah. friends and family. Where characters are quote damaged by things like getting a really good zinger told right. on them or, 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 you know, overextending or themselves and finding themselves in a comedic situation. Narrative consequence, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is, you know, I mean, if you, you can, you can apply the RPG model to a lot of uh, nonviolent scenarios like co- comedy and romance and things. Exactly. Like it's not done very often, but you can. And there's, and there's some great games. I'm thinking of Starcrossed, the two player yep. Jenga tower game of romantic tension. Oh, where yeah, the tower yeah. Falls, you give in yep. right? an excellent example of that idea. Um, you know, but for me, like I have a, I have fiasco, which is a great onboarding tool. If people are familiar with the genre fiasco yeah, so, is in. Right. And if you have but to, if they aren't, it's a little harder. Cause yeah, you have it, to, it, is, it is. And also to be, you know, also honestly, like while you can not have this happen, I have found in most games of fiasco, I have played several people have ended up dead usually comedically, but right. you know, it's it, the well, scenario which is a, the, the scenario is a for, feature, not a bug oh, because oh, no, of what not, fiasco not is even a little bit. I mean, it's the Coen brothers, you know, uh, yeah. you know, F- Fargo style, you know, uh, game. So it's about everything going, you know, burn after reading, et cetera. 
And so somebody at some point just gets, you know, killed and you're like, wow, that was so avoidable. And you're, you laugh at the absurdity of it or whatever. Right. Um, so no, it's absolutely a thing. So, but, but yeah, no, I, but uh, I, yeah, I would, I, that, that was interesting, but I, I wasn't expecting that, that particular answer. Uh, but I, I do agree. I think it's actually, really I, cool to see I think that last answer is due to sometimes the difficulty of onboarding somebody with something like D and D or other games, because it okay, might not well, be a fit for what they enjoy. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Right. And so, and I, I have a wide selection of RPGs, but it it is difficult to, for example, I have the Good Society RPG, which is a fantastic Jane Austen style right. RPG. Yeah, I, I have that as well. Yeah. But it is a very unique mechanical system that if I pull it out to teach somebody, I'm only pulling it out once a year. I have to refresh yep. myself on the rules. Absolutely. And we're probably not playing it in the downtime, which makes yeah. it a little harder. Uh, so those are the things I think about in some ways. I would like to find a way to improve the accessibility of onboarding people into RPGs without increasing the workload on the person doing the onboarding. And I think that's a, I think that's a hard scale to balance. Yeah. Cause I mean, a lot of times GMs are already being asked to like do a lot, you know, they're asking to basically organize the group, get everybody together, double check on everybody, put together an entertaining game, make all the characters seem engaged and, you know, make all the players feel like they're being engaged. Um, and right. it's, it's a lot, it, it is yeah. a lot. It can be very fun. I mean, I, I, I am a, you know, eternal GM basically. Like I, uh, almost, you know, other than games I play with like guys like you and stuff like that, I basically don't, I usually just make everything, right. make everything myself. And as a designer, there's a certain expectation. It's like, okay, well, if we're going to, you know, it, it's fun, but it's definitely, okay, I'm running this game. And there's no rules for X in it and it's come up. Okay. I guess I got to make rules for X because no one's going to take the excuse that I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna look at me and go what you can't design the rules for this i mean my wife particularly mm. will so you know no comment yeah <laughs> all right folks uh jack if people want to find you or support you what's the best way for them to do so uh well the best way to do is just buy my stuff um i'm actually having a a, a couple uh, projects coming out soon that are going to be uh you know use a more royalty-based compensation model and that's you know <laughs> when those pop up i'm going to be like that my, my newer stuff is definitely going to, you know, more, but I mean, honestly, you know, as, as someone who has a lot of freelance work, particularly on licensed games where there's usually not royalties and things like that. Uh, the best thing you can do is just buy my stuff. You know, if you buy my stuff and you know, you engage with me pleasantly online, uh, I will think nice things about you and I will be happy. And also uh, you will see more of me. I know that is, and I think that's true of a lot of freelancers and this, you know, in the industry. And um, if you like their stuff, buy their stuff. And, you know, if yeah. possible, tell the company, Tell the publisher, yes. Tell the publisher, so the publisher knows why you're doing it. Uh, pl- you know, leave good reviews. Oh my God, please leave good reviews. Um, if you if you liked it, if you don't leave it, like it, leave a bad review. Leave some sort of review. Um, I mean, you don't have to leave a bad review. There are people out there to do that. But I mean, but please, my point is, please engage. And uh, you know, you know, basically, you know, say nice things. Tell people. Um, I've, and I've certainly had, pe- I've absolutely had people offer me work because they're like, everybody really liked this thing you did, whether it was something that I did internally and people liked it. Um, I mean, I recently, I mean, I had a project I really wanted to get on at one point and, um, I, I might've anyway, cause I had a good relationship with the publisher, but when the developer for that line looked at it and said, looked at the work I had done for a different line in the company and said, were you, do you know who did this particular part of the game? I said, yeah, that was me. And give me all which, and he was like, wait, you did it. I said, who else were did it? Nope. That was all me. That happened to be one of the things that was all me. And the next thing I knew I was getting a contract. 
because they wanted me to do the you know a very similar yeah. version of what I had done already in 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 this other game line and I was like okay um but if I if people hadn't like told, communicated with each other how much they liked it and the right. and the fans had not been so positive about it and not been like oh my god our favorite part of this you know I mean and I'll, I'll tell people what it was because this might be sort of inspiring or interesting too it was a GM screen it was a it was like a storyteller skit within a GM screen so it's the you know GM screen insert which to be honest sometimes people look at and really like and sometimes people look at once and then put it away and mm-hmm. you know it's small and they lose it and they're like well I still got my screen that's what I got the screen was what I really wanted. And so I did some work, you know, some player GM facing content, you know, some an adventure generator, NPC generator, some other things. And the response was like just overwhelmingly positive, which I was thrilled about. And the publisher was getting this positive response and it was getting good reviews and people were like, man, you know what? A lot of times I don't use this stuff, but this stuff, it's like, it's almost worth it just to have this. Even if you didn't have the screen, I'm like, wow, that's a great compliment. And so, you know, and because people communicated that, led to me getting more work if people hadn't communicated there might have been a bunch of people out there that loved it and nobody would have thought to have me do it again right or and and that's true of anybody not just me um so so really just please you know get out there and tell people especially since there is you know there's a lot of negativity in the world there's a lot of people who will always they'll always tell you what you're doing wrong they'll always tell you what you're doing wrong they'll they'll corny you at a convention and go on and on about how you know, you ruined a character because you had like a stat that was one point off or whatever. And it's like, you know, or they'll, you know, tell you things like, you know, oh, people, you know, this, this, I could give examples. It's really not important. The, the, re- the thing is, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of negativity out there. If you can give some positivity to the creators you like, they'll love it. They'll appreciate you. And they'll, it, I think, I truly believe they will not only produce more work, but I also truly believe they will produce better work. Because they will be in a better place because people are appreciating what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, Jack, thank you so much for coming on. It's appreciated. Uh, Folks, I'm Alan Barr, and this has been Radio Free RPG.